one of the, the key things that I learned for Harmon Brothers, and I learned really early on that you don't hire marketers and try to expect them to become funny. You need to hire very good comedians and teach them to be marketers. And so I think maybe a lot of the successes come from learning how to pick talent and train talent rather than being the talent. We stand today. This is Method with method. a shout out. The Business Method. The Business Method Podcast. The Business Method Podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring high-performing entrepreneurs and high-caliber people dissecting their different methods, tools, and strategies so we can apply them to our businesses and lives. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that had built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built seven-figure businesses that can be ran anywhere in the world. And currently, we are interviewing 100 major influencers to get behind the minds and the science of using influence to grow business, affect income, results, economies, and cultures, especially post-COVID. Since we moved into a post-pandemic world, the landscape has changed drastically for most business owners. We're finding out what is working for the entrepreneurs out there that have positioned themselves well to make sure their businesses thrive, succeed, and continue to experience growth in this current economy. And now... Let's hop into today's show. The Business Method. Welcome to the show, listeners. Now, if you haven't heard of Harmon Brothers, there's a good chance that you've seen a commercial or advertisement that was created by this company. Our guest today is Jeffrey Harmon, one of the famous Harmon Brothers. Jeffrey was one of the first people to figure out that you could advertise on YouTube and make money, and he did it. In January, January of 2011, he said this, if my calculations are correct, then I can safely estimate that at least 500 channels on YouTube have already created full-time jobs. Now hindsight is 2020 and it was suggested to me by a mentor of mine back in 2011 to start a YouTube channel and use it to make money. I ignored this advice and we see where YouTube is today and has gone in the past nine years. Now, if you've seen a commercial for Poopery, ClickFunnels, Woodwind Grills, Purple Mattress, Chatbots, and my favorite, the legendary Squatty Potty, then you have seen an ad that made the Harmon Brothers legends in the marketing world. They now have over $350 million in sales as a direct result of their video ads and nearly 1.5 billion cumulative client videos. Now, that's just scratching the surface for Jeffrey Harmon. Jeffrey is also the founder of VidAngel, a program that filters violence, profanity, racial slurs, disturbing images, and sex from regular TV so families can keep it clean for the kids or for the adults. He then created Dry Bar Comedy, which is a place for people to enjoy clean comedy. And thank God, because I'm sick of dirty comedy all the time also. And they have a YouTube channel and an app for dry bar, dry bar comedy. The YouTube channel has 834,000 subscribers and their app is used, I don't know, but it's a lot of amount uh, per day per user. And dry bar comedy is actually a comedy show that goes on tour around the country to give clean, live humor to the world. And I just found this out. He is also the creator of a new television show that was launched in December. Remind me of the name, Jeffrey. I'm not the creator, but it's called The Chosen. The Chosen. But we're the distributor. Yeah, we're the distributor. Yes. 
where they are creating series, television series on apps so they can keep the community there. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty good explanation. Cool. How was the intro? Was that all correct? Yeah. The, uh, I'm a co-founder at VidAngel. So Neil okay. is also, Neil Harmon is a co-founder and I, the, the chosen creator, the director is named Dallas Jenkins. So I don't want to, I want to make sure I don't come across as the one who who created we it, it all. <laughs> we're yeah. the we're the we're the the muscle behind marketing the project and distributing it well thanks for coming to the show jeffrey how are you today uh great doing really well uh i'm here in utah and uh it's cold but it's good <laughs> yeah well um <clears throat> we recently had benton the ceo of Harmon brothers on the show and mm -hmm. then we were introduced to you from uh, a fellow mutual friend and it was really cool because i didn't know all the things that you were up to outside of the Harmon brothers do you even do you put much time in the Harmon brothers now or is that is that working on itself it's been a couple of years. So I'm a partner at Harmon Brothers, but there's eight different partners. And okay. I, I led Harmon Brothers until Benton took over as CEO. And I'm grateful I, I turned that over to him because it does a lot better. It's done a lot better since I switched. Um, uh -huh. But the, uh, yeah, I, I, um, I was there when, when we did Squatty Potty and Poopery and Purple. I think Purple was the last big project I was there on. And now I, I spend the majority of my time, uh, except for board meetings and things at uh, VidAngel. Now, a friend that knows both uh, knows you pretty well, he said this. He said something that he thinks that you, that a lot of people don't know about you is that you are the guy that figured out that you could advertise on YouTube and make money. Before that, like it didn't exist. Do you, would you say that's accurate? Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. Uh, uh, so... I guess we were, we came in just before Old Spice came in with the man your man could smell like, which was the big, oh, yeah. the big advertising campaign that the first successful YouTube advertising campaign that everybody knew about. But before that we had Aura Brush. So my brother and I, Neil, co-founded Aura Brush with a, a 75 year old inventor named Dr. Bob. And he invented this little tongue cleaner that helps cure bad breath. And he came up to me in school. I was at, um, my last day of my last class before I graduated. And he came into our class and he was presenting this product and it was a group of students and they were getting their findings and they were saying, this product is not gonna work unless you're partnered with somebody like Procter & Gamble or a big, big company. And they said only 8% of people will pay for something like this on the internet. And I kind of contested and uh, said, 8% is still millions of people by my calculation. Why wouldn't you focus on those guys? And, <laughs> and they didn't know how to respond. <laughs> Who was they? That the was students. It, uh, the class, yeah, the students. The students. Okay. So we were presenting on different companies that had come in. And so I had, I had worked with a, a different brand when I did my, my final project and I had already presented and I was just waiting for school to get over. And then Dr. Bob came up to me afterwards, the 75 year old guy and said, Hey, I'm curious about what you said. Would you like to come talk to me? And we went to lunch and I said, I think I could sell this product. And I'm just fresh out of school. So I didn't really, I like I had this job and I was, Twitter was brand new. And I was at a, a company called Family Link managing seven, what they called twit terms. They were interns for Twitter. <laughs> okay. <yeah. laughs> managing this team of people that were running Twitter <laughs> accounts. And, and uh, Dr. Bob, um, said, work, work with me on this at nights and I'll give you my motorcycle. 
and he had this <laughs> this old motorcycle still sitting in my garage and he nice. he said he'd give me the motorcycle because i was still on a bicycle and i didn't want to buy a car until i had paid off my student debt so i had a couple thousand dollars left of student debt and and um and so i took the motorcycle and promised to work for him for eight months at nights give it a shot and we worked on it and eventually we came to the conclusion like we bought a, a facebook page called kisses that had like one million fans on it and tried to market to those people and we sold a little bit but nothing was really working that good we bought google ads and then Finally, um, I grabbed my roommate who was a, at the film school at BYU, the school we were at, and, and I said, can you make a video? There's this video on YouTube that's got like tens of thousands of views where they teach people how to tell if you have bad breath by using a spoon. And they like, you like scrape your tongue with a spoon and you smell the spoon and if the spoon smells, your breath smells. And, and it's something you can do at a dinner table when your date's not looking and things. And, and so, and I was like, this is getting tons of views. It's really interesting because if, if you're scraping your tongue to prove that your breath smells, then that means cleaning your tongue will stop the bad breath. And so we built this video and we used uh, one of the guys that was the Twitter group that we had at family link. And, and we, he, he would rant at work about politics. He was pretty interesting. And I just asked him, will you be on the video? And we, and I got a budget from Dr. Bob for like 800 bucks. And we went and shot this video in a pool room in front of a white screen. And we it was inspired by iJustine. If anybody is old time YouTubers, they know iJustine. And, um, and she would always shoot in front of white backgrounds and just cut. She'd just talk and then just cut, jump, cut, jump, cut, jump, cut. And I was like, that's what we're going to do. It's cheap. It's easy. And so, um, and I got a, a buddy, Joel Ackerman, who later wrote the Poopery video and directed it. Um, he, he, he took the script I had and punched it up and made it good. And then we made this video and it got like 50 million views on YouTube. And we sold tens of millions of dollars of these tongue cleaners. And we got into Walmart and, and Boots in the UK. And, and, then, and then eventually, um, we, so the way we got into Walmart, there's tons of stories about Orbrush, but the way we got into Walmart is I, I just bought ads on Facebook to Walmart employees and targeted only at Bentonville and they had to be a college graduate. Nice. And so I got Bentonville or Bentonville targeted college graduates. And then I made an ad that said, your Walmart employees breath stinks. You need our product. <laughs> and, and then, and then back then they allowed you more micro targeting than they do now. So I was targeting like, like just a few people. There are only a few people that fit this, this category. And within uh, a week and $28 of ad spend, we got an email from the VC of uh, Walmart saying, we saw your ad, very funny, take it down, <laughs> let's talk. And we got into Walmart. Wow. So that was interesting. And then, and then another really interesting thing that happened that made us known, so we, we, is we, we had this, PR agencies say, Hey, we think we can get you all this press. And they worked on it for like months. They're like this little college student coming out of school, working with a 75 year old inventor, getting into Walmart and all these things. This is, this is newsworthy. They didn't get anywhere. Um, and I've learned this is kind of the case with most press. And, um, and then I get an email from one of our contacts at YouTube and Google. And she says, Hey, Eric is going into an interview. He would like some data on the aura brush campaign you did. 
and he's going to talk about Ourbrush and Old Spice because Old Spice had just come out. And I was like, okay. And I sent it over and I didn't know who Eric was and uh, found out later when the New York Times called me that it was the CEO of Google is talking to the New York Times about the Ourbrush campaign. And because of that, uh, the New York Times calls us and they're doing the story and they're like, I just have a few questions to ask. They asked me a few questions. She's like, is there anything else you, that we should know about it? And I was like, well, I think our story should be its own story, not just something that Eric Schmidt quoted. And she's like, I agree with you. I'm calling you back in a little while. <laughs> and so we got this like full spread in the New York Times and that started a, like a media firestorm. And then the PR company like amplified it, but they couldn't get it, which I thought was interesting. And that's kind of the case with most PR is you earn it first and then, and then you need a PR team to capitalize on it. So, so then, then, um, then Nightline flew out here and we did a Nightline interview and Orabrush blew up, did really well. Um, eventually we, we left the company in the hands of a previous vice president of Procter and Gamble and he exited the company and we went on to do Harmon brothers after that. So it all like started and finished with Procter and Gamble, like in the yeah, class. Yeah, you know, that's, right. Said, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then the former, the former executive came over and ran the company. Yeah, that's so incredible. So that was that was the beginning of YouTube ads. And I remember going to VidCon. We went to the very first VidCons, and we were working with Hank and John Green. They're still good friends of ours, and uh, helping them fill bags. There was only like six hundred people at VidCon back then, that first VidCon, and we were the first sponsor. Um, at the 10 year anniversary, Hank and John got up and they held up ore brushes. They had a bunch of ore brushes and they're like, these were our first sponsor. <laughs> and now it's owned by, uh, by, uh, uh, is it, uh, Viacom. And I think it's Viacom the bottom, but so, so they, we were at VidCon and a guy from Google comes up and he just says, are you Jeff Harmon? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, can I give you a hug? And he gives me a hug and I'm like, well, I don't understand. He's like, you don't understand. We have been trying to sell YouTube ads to companies like Coca-Cola and all these others. And he's like, in a big Fortune 500 companies, we just started showing them your aura brush story. And now they're all getting on board. And he's like, you don't know what you've done for my job. <laughs> <laughs> so so that, cool. that's, that's kind of the story. And what happened to Dr. Bob? So Dr. Bob is uh, still retired and he still invents like interesting hygiene stuff for like he invented an aura pup, a, a dung brush for dogs. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and he's like 80 something this, now this, and he's still this going. Business. Yeah. This poop business is a good business. Yeah. So right? we went from tongue gunk where you clean off tongue gunk and then we went straight into poopery. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and then... And then that went huge. Poopery, like um, we took them. They were doing just a few million dollars a year. And now I think the most recent numbers are they've turned into a uh, $300 million company or something like that. And, and then we have done Squatty Potty, Purple. We built a whole ad agency around this concept of marketing social video. And, and um, one of the writers for Wired Magazine, the way he put it is he said, they reinvented the infomercial and he, he called me the, uh, he said, Jeff Harmon's the Ron Papel of the YouTube generation. And, uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then in Poopery, did they come, come to you guys after they saw from the aura videos? Yes. The, yeah. The, the so, aura brush videos. Yeah. They approached us and that's the first time that we thought 
maybe we maybe we can leave this Orbrush project in the hands of this new CEO and we'll go start something new. And, and that's because we, we, we were relatively, I mean, as a student in school, relatively small shareholders, even though we were co-founders. And so um, it, it just seemed appropriate and the right timing to go try something new. And Susie from Poopery just like really aggressively started reaching out to me and was like, she's like, your LinkedIn bio says that, um, that if you want to reach you, just stalk you. And she's like, I'm stalking you. <laughs> and I was like, okay. All right. And, and she had the vision. She understood what, what needed to be done. And I found out years later after we launched the Poopery campaign that the CEO of Squatty Potty saw the Poopery campaign and found out we were in Utah. And he was like, how did I not know about this first? He's just like, <laughs> right. And right. so later we did the Squatty Potty campaign for them. Yeah, that was significantly bigger. We we had Bobby Edwards, the CEO of Squatty Potty, on the show also a couple of years ago. Yeah, Bobby's super visionary. Yeah. What made you think that, um, in those early days that the that YouTube would work so well? Because you know, I read your quote in the intro that in 2011 you estimated around 500 uh, people were supporting themselves just from YouTube. Um, alone. So I, I know like as somebody that grew up in the digital world too, uh, we saw opportunities online differently than older generations. Right. Yep. Um, but you know, for example, like somebody came up to me in 2011, a mentor, a guy I respected who made a lot of money and said, Chris, make YouTube videos while you travel the world and then put some advertisements up there. You'll make money. It'll be great. And I ignored the advice for whatever reason. I thought, you know, that's kind of silly yeah. or it's already too saturated. Like what, what made you think that it would really work? It was seeing the organic views on the one YouTube video. Uh, having nowhere else to turn for Aura Brush was another thing. Like. We had tried everything and, and then um, realizing YouTube launched its ad platform right at the same time we were right, right before I think I decided to shoot that video. Right. And I bought some ads on the YouTube platform and realized it was like the early days of Google where it was like a penny per view Oh yeah. or penny per click. So it was so cheap and it's like, well, if it's a penny per view, I'd better be able to figure it out <laughs> that cheap. Right? right. And, and so, um, we just bought up all of YouTube's inventory because they were a brand new platform and they were charging so cheap for it. And it just like gave us an opportunity to develop all these methods and learn as the competition grew. So right. I think if we hadn't come in that early, it would have been very difficult to do it without some type of mentorship or class or something to, to, to teach everything that we've learned since. But at the time, nobody knew what to do. And so that super cheap click through rate or to cost per click was, was critical to figure it out. And then the, the big, the big, but it was an evolving thing. So at first it was just, Oh, cheap clicks. I can get sales. That's what I'm pushing. Then we said, Oh, there's this VidCon thing coming up. Um, that's where all the YouTubers are at. Let's go talk to them and learn how things work. And then we show up at VidCon and every single YouTuber was going and chatting with all the others. And they would all like make friendships and then do collaborative campaigns. 
And then I realized at the at VidCon that everything was about subscribers. And, and, and then I started to go, oh, these are basically like new cable TV stations. Meaning you can run your own station. Nobody tells you what to put on it. You, put, you tell yourself what to put on it. And then the viewers decide whether or not they like it. And you have all this freedom. And so and a good cable, a respectable cable television station at the time had 400,000 subscribers or viewers or yeah. Uh, yeah, subscribers. So, so if you had 400,000, then you were respectable. And I was like, well, a lot of these guys got more than that. So these guys yeah. are like the new cable TV. So um, that was really big moment for us. And then we did something that was maybe a little bit ahead of its time, but we did a entire vlog called Diary of a Dirty Tongue. And we dressed up this guy, this comedian, Dave Ackerman, into a big tongue suit. as a giant tongue. <laughs> okay. And then we took him to VidCon and we had him walk around and he's like our mascot. This was, this was Daniel Har Harmon's idea. Daniel, he's the creative director over at Harmon Brothers. And we created a, a weekly vlog where this tongue, who's the spokesperson for Aura Brush, is just like sitting in this little junky apartment and he's being a YouTuber. And we brought on a couple hundred thousand subscribers with that vlog and got like several, I don't know, like 10 million views. Or I don't remember what it was. It was a significant amount of views. And it was the very, very first brand ever to do a, a vlog and kind of a content play on YouTube. And mm -hmm. it was a little early. It was hard to get um, investors to buy off on doing very much of that. So, um, but it was very successful by today's terms, even by today, today's terms, it was very successful. So, but it was all about getting subscribers. Right. That's where, where it's like this realization that this is the future of media and kids are watching more on YouTube than they watch of TV. Mm -hmm. And, and so it was just kind of, kind of a slow realization that it wasn't slow. Everybody, I guess we were the fastest or close to the fastest to realize it, but, but it was this realization of where the, the industry was headed. Did you feel confident at that time that YouTube was going to be around 10, 20 years down the road? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I over predicted something. I remember I predicted that YouTube would eventually be like 50% of Google's revenue. That wasn't right. It's a lot. They just announced their revenue numbers this time for the first time. Um, but they, but I, I thought it would be like half of all their revenue and maybe it will be at some point, but definitely wasn't yeah. in the five year period. I thought it would be. <laughs> That being said, like, um, you had good insight on what YouTube was going to be. Do you see any platforms out there today that may be the YouTube of 2020 or that may be what YouTube was 10 years ago? Um, I mean, you got Vine came in and took over, had, had this kind of niche that it figured out, but it didn't quite figure, I mean, it almost figured it out. YouTube has moved to where rather than 30 second videos, everything's like 10 minutes plus 20 minutes, 30 minutes. So they're going for a lot, the long form content, which has left a giant hole in the market that TikTok has jumped into of the short video content. That's what YouTube used to be. And, right. and they're, they're like version 20, you know, of, of that short form content, but, but they're, but it's, I mean, it's, it's even way more digestible than it was back then. But the, um, 
yeah, I think TikTok, TikTok is clearly a major player. But I think where, here's where I see the problems with this. And I, I don't know who's the solution yet. And we're working on some stuff to try to solve problems here is that you build up these, these, these huge audiences and you invest years of time and then YouTube or anybody can just like, or even their algorithms can just shut you off because they think you might be offensive to their larger community, to their brand. Right. And, and that's a big problem. Um, when, when content creators um, start getting shut off because somebody finds them offensive. I mean, that's the whole point of free speech is to be able to uh, tolerate people who you find very offensive. And, and so I think that that's going to drive a backlash that will create some type of new system. I just don't know exactly what it looks like yet. Do you think any, 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 any other platforms than just short term, short videos have the potential to get big like YouTube does? Like my thoughts are podcasting is still very, you know, in the wild, wild west days and and over the next decade, it's going to keep going and keep going. Oh yeah. Audio is huge. Audio is huge for the next while because people are out of time to sit down and watch something, but they can listen while they drive, while they run, while they exercise, while they do laundry. And that's part of, that's part of why we got into the dry bar comedy thing was because the audio space is important. And, um, but yeah, I think podcasts are interesting because podcasts are more decentralized. They're not as, they're not as centralized as YouTube. And that, that is, where I think things are headed is to more decentralized systems because when you've got a hundred hours of video uploaded every minute and you're trying to police it, you're, it's an impossible task and you're just going to make a lot of people really upset and you're and a lot of, sure you might, there might be some bad actors that get taken out, but you're also going to take out way more good people in the process without meaning to, and they have no way to reach out, no way to appeal. And if you're not connected, you can't survive sometimes. Well, let's talk about dry bar comedy. So you, you created that because, um, there was no, basically nowhere people could get a, a mass amount of, um, um, co- clean comedy, right? Yeah, that's right. At, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you created dry bar comedy. Was it first uh, a comedy show and then you created the channel or was um, it, did you create the channel first? So the idea it was, it was first, we first had to film it and it would, nothing existed on a channel. And then a few months later, we launched the channel once we had enough content. The dry bar comedy, the concept was that if you look at the comedy landscape, you've got guys that have stayed clean. A lot of people don't even realize they're clean. They're so funny, you don't realize they're clean. Like Brian Regan, Jim Gaffigan, uh, Jerry Seinfeld is a pretty clean comedian, always runs clean. Um, You've got, uh, you've got this group, Bill Cosby with a gigantic asterisk because he's in jail now, but, but his comedy was clean. And, and so you, but you've got this group of like superstars that were as big as anybody and are as big as anybody. And then you've got this ocean of comics who are blue in, in comedy world. That's the term for, for dirty comedy. And, and so you got this ocean of blue comics that kind of run the, the, the bar circuit. It's like, it's just, they're just running bars and pubs and clubs and, and it's a, it's kind of a a rough world. And, and then the clean comics 
have a really, really difficult time. They have to get so big that they can't be ignored anymore because the industry just doesn't, doesn't want them. And so the thought was, what if we could create a brand that any comic could be clean inside that brand and you trust the brand rather than just Brian Regan or just Jim Gaffigan? And so we came up with dry bar comedy. And then the next question was, how do we keep the comics from getting off brand? And so we called um, a whole bunch of big comics and we talked to them or medium sized comics. They weren't big. Some of them are big now because we made them big, but the um, called them and said, look, you're a very good comic. Uh, here's our brand. It's clean. It's family friendly. Uh, you do, it may be not for kids, but it's, it's for, but you don't have to be embarrassed if your kids are in the room while you're listening to it. And, and, and it's, and so what we want you to do is do a show where you just cut out all the swearing and cut out all the innuendo and do 40 minutes of your clean stuff, just adjust your show. And we're not going to tell you what that looks like, but what we can tell you is we have this other platform called VidAngel. And what VidAngel does is it skips, it allows an audience like a TV remote. You know, if growing up, my mom would shut off the TV if something came on that was wrong or she that was out of our standards as a family. And so it was basically an automa automation of that. I've got kids, my brother's got kids, and there's things that we don't want them to see or hear um, in the wrong situation or the wrong scenario. And so it's that angel skips language, nudity, things like that. And we said, so, so we've got this data that shows what people skip. If you say these words, they're gonna skip it. If you do these types of innuendos, they're gonna skip you. And the, the goal here is, is the less you're skipped, the more on brand you are. And the more on brand you are, the more we pay you long-term with, with royalties. And so we pay for as long as their content's up, any comedian that comes to Drybar, they get paid forever. And some of these guys are making six figures in a year on Drybar. I mean, it's like, it's a big deal. And, and so, so, we said, just come in, here's your list, here's the data. You do what you want, you take your own risks. You can get skipped more, which means you might earn a little bit less money, but it's up to you what you do. Then we stick them on the stage and about 70, 60 to 70% make it through and to final taping, you know, to the, to the final show. And then we launch them on the app and on our YouTube channel and on Facebook and on TikTok and all across those we've got like 7 million followers across all these different platforms. And then, um, and then we monetize them all over and it's blown up. It's got over 2 billion views. Um, we've made some comics very, like some of them have ended up getting uh, Amazon specials and things that like they're, they're exploding. Jeff Allen, who's a very famous comic already. He came back for a second show and he said, just told me, he said it was life. It was life altering. Um, he said it was, he said it's the equivalent of getting on the, was it Johnny Carson show way back in the day? He's like, it's like, it's like that was to people back in the day because it just blew my whole entire, he's like, I've been building for decades and then suddenly everything just blew up. So, and we've seen that a lot with comedians. And so, but, but it's this brand where the audience and, and, and right now we're working on a tour because comedians go out and they get 50 million views on YouTube and Facebook and our app. And then people start showing up to their shows 
and they're doing blue comedy and the people are come up to him like, I had no idea that you're not normally a clean comedian. <laughs> and, and so they're calling us and they're like, we need a dry bar tour where people can know that I, I'm going to be clean at that spot. And so that's, that's dry bar. And, um, it took us, took quite some time to get it to profitability. People thought we were nuts investors. I remember when we first announced it, we had investors calling us and saying, you guys are crazy. This is not what you should be doing. And, and we were just like, we think it's going to be huge. We think that if we can build this brand and a following around it, it's like its own comedy central that's clean. And, um, and you can just keep doing it. It's not like, it's like a, it's like a, it's like Simpsons where you can just, there's new comics and new clean comedy and new, 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 new content always coming. And, and we become a launch pad for these comedians. I think that's genius because I mean, there's, there's, I, I know I have been to uh, comedy shows where it's just too much, you know, you know right. people are always trying to push the bar and get a little dirtier, get a little racier. And, uh, I've been to comedy shows like at family events. We're like, Hey, let's go to a comedy show. And then the guy just like the comedian up there just tries to cut the bar lower and lower. And it's just, yep. you know, I always have this, like these knots in my stomach. I'm like, where can we get like some good, clean comedy? That's because, right. you know, uh, it happened, you know, Hee Haw was a show that mm-hmm. millions of people watched back in the day and it was family friendly and, and things like that. But yeah, it's, it's really cool that you guys are creating, uh, have created a space for well, that. Like I really can appreciate And what's that. wild is we did research on it and we realized that about a third of Americans just don't watch any stand up. It's just too, it's, it's, they, they know who Brian Regan is. They know who Jim Gaffigan is. They know who Cosby was. Um, they know who Seinfeld is and that's it. They don't know that there's this yeah. entire market of like brilliant, super funny people because they just won't go in there. It's like a minefield. They can't, they can't navigate it. And so we're, our job is to go through and bring in everybody who's willing to do a clean show and they can say, you know, when it's on dry bar, everybody understands that's where my clean show is. And, and it's, and it's, it's been right. We, we have, um, we now have a bigger digital footprint than comedy central does for standup. Nice. Congratulations. When did you guys start that? Uh, 2017. Okay. Early 2017. That's that's like three years ago. Yeah. Three years ago. Um, yeah. And, uh, that's incredible. And so how many, how many, uh, cities do you guys hit on your tour? Um, so we ran a test run last year and I think they hit like 20 cities or something just as a test. And now they're, they're going and digging in and saying, okay, how do we get, um, well, he, the guy who's running it is retooling and figuring out exactly because we learned a bunch and it was successful, meaning we, we made money, but we want to figure out how to, to nail it just right. So, so we're, we're retooling at the moment on the tour. And then it should come out probably later this year again or next year. Okay. And then, and then so that you guys have a dry comedy app yep. where people go. And it's all free. It's free. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and tell me the, I think I was told that the average time somebody that's on the app is 24 minutes or something that like sounds, that. That, that sounds correct? right. It's, it's a long, uh, I think the app might even be more. I mean, our, our YouTube channel average times are up in that range too. Just the okay. amount of people time that people spend on our channel, just watching and listening. Um, but yeah. the app is, is, I think is more than that. And the app is very unique because we don't, we don't actually give ads right now or it's just free. And then at the end of each special, 
the comedian makes a little pitch and you can tip right inside the app. You can tip the comedian oh, cool. some money and, and nice. then they, they, they earn their money through these tips and the tips we found makes more money than ad impressions. So that's incredible. And you have, is it how many downloads on the app? I think dry bar is probably up in it's, it's approaching a million downloads, something. I don't, I don't have those numbers right off the top of my head because Drybar, just like Harmon Brothers, I have it's now a different team running Drybar. I yeah, and and so I'm working on other stuff now. That's amazing because you know you think about what apps you use for 24 plus minutes or 30 minutes or more, uh, and there's unless you're getting sucked into Facebook or YouTube, there's I don't know any other apps that anybody use for that yeah. amount of time. Yeah, yeah, it's a big it's a big deal, and we've had people um, people that suffer from depression just. I mean, I, I can't even count the number of letters we've got from people that suffer from depression saying, you know, I couldn't listen to other comedy because it doesn't match what I want to listen to. But, but this has yeah. helped me so much with, with my struggles with depression. So that's, that's been a really big encouragement to see that. That's really cool. And, and the thing that this does that, you know, for example, you, the YouTube app wouldn't do is if you watch a video that, um, cannot make you feel better or cannot, you know, doesn't make you feel good or, you know, there's just more that show up on your homepage of, you know, some fight video yeah. or some drama on yeah. the news or something yeah. like that. Right. Yeah. Whereas, um, if you guys are just specialized, so this, this is really creative and it sounds like you could almost use this as a, uh, a hack. So instead of like hopping on YouTube and getting sucked into videos or Instagram, Absolutely. you could hop on dry dry comedy, take a break in the afternoon, watch some good positive humor, you yep. know, get, start to feel better and then go back to your work. That's day, right. Which sounds fantastic. Or, or I, I listen that. to them while I'm commuting, you know, just. Yes. Or commuting. Yeah. yeah Stand up comedy is really good to listen to. It's almost like a podcast. Yeah. So what I do in the afternoons, I usually take like 20 minutes off and I do scroll through YouTube and I, I find like funny videos that make me feel better. And then I go back to work and yep. after 20 or 30 minutes, but I'm going to try this, um, to see how I feel and, and maybe we can recommend it to our clients and our clientele sure. about like, use this as a life hack, use dry comedy yeah. so you can <laughs> keep productive throughout your day and feeling good. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, so you also have the chosen app. Yes. So the chosen is a TV series just launched in December. Now it's already have over, it already has over a million downloads. Mm -hmm. Um, and the idea was to create an app specialized for, uh, each TV series and keep the community inside the app. Correct. Yeah. So this is, this is where things, this is where I'm excited. This is where all my interest and energy is going right now is in this world. Cool. And, and there's, um, to, to try to describe the problem for creators, the problem is that they, they go in and they create these multi, I mean, a TV series, like a cheap TV series is 10 to $20 million. And a more expensive one, you get up in the 30, 40, $50 million range, right? For, for, for a single season. And so if you think about startups, startups get entire like, news and press on $3 million round or $5 million round or a $10 million round. That's what these guys are getting. TV series are getting, they're basically enterprises that have hundreds of employees and they're a startup that, that is just launching with this pot of money 
And, and, and I just thought, I was just starting to look at it and I was like, Netflix just kind of come in, they buy the series with a little margin for the creators. And then they just, it's a black box for the creators and YouTube, uh, you can build up a following, but they can shut off your, the way you reach your people at almost any given time. And you're constantly like, I mean, in a way, uh, as YouTubers, YouTubers feel like they're kind of worshiping the algorithm. You know, they just nonstop. How do I figure out how to make all my content work for YouTube so that they can make me money? <laughs> and, and so there's, in Facebook, we've seen similar things. We build up, we built up with Drybar like millions and millions and millions of followers. And then suddenly Facebook makes a tweak. They don't tell anybody about it. And the next month you go from, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue to nothing. And then you have to retool everything and everybody's exhausted and it's just this awful experience. And so, and so there's this, so that's the first problem is that followers are not yours. They're Facebooks and they're YouTubes and they're TikToks and they're these platforms. And you know that when you start seeing channels get shut down or, or uh, I think PewDiePie, like YouTube shut him off for a few days. The biggest YouTuber in the world just gets shut off for a few days from YouTube because they don't like his behavior. And I, I probably, I don't even know who very much about his content, but, uh, and I probably wouldn't like his behavior either, either but I just turn him off. Right. That's, I, I, I mean, I wouldn't turn him off as a platform. I just turn him off as a viewer. Um, and so, so there's, there's this problem of not owning your fans. And then in the film industry, there's a problem of even, it's even more separated. So Disney plus owns the followers or uh, Netflix owns the followers or these different, different um, platforms are really the one, the distributor is in between you and the people that watch. And so, um, but these are major, major projects. And like Game of Thrones has an entire fan club, but it's all on forums divided up all over the internet where people communicate about their fandom of Game of Thrones. And, and Netflix isn't gonna like put it inside its app because that would make a really messy app to have all these different shows. So, so the idea here is that we build a system where you have an app for each show. So The Chosen's the first one, we, we did 10 million, it's a $10 million show. We crowdfunded it. Um, and, and then it's, it, the, the followers can all either watch on VidAngel with like a more of a Netflix type six experience, or they can watch in its own app. And when it's in its own app, uh, the, the creator gets to decide when to notify them when to email them, when to communicate with them. So all the list, all the viewers of, or the people that downloaded the app, correct? Yes. And yeah, so, okay. and so they, they're their own company, their own app. And we're just kind of the backbone of helping them reach their followers. And, and so it's, it's a prototype. It's an experiment. Um, it's doing well. And, and, uh, and what's amazing, what's really helpful is that The Chosen has a 9.9 .9 on IMDb, which if you follow oh, IMDb, nice. that's huge. The highest rated film of all time is 9.5. So we expect okay. once, once it moves into mainstream, it will drop some. 
but it's got yeah. 1600 reviews. I mean, it's not insignificant. And right. in order to get ranked as one of the top TV shows of all time, it just needs to get to 5,000 reviews. So uh, oh, wow. these aren't gamed reviews or anything. They're the real thing. I, IMDb yeah. has entire anti-gaming systems, which are helpful to us because trolls come in and try to vote it down every once in a while. Um, so, yeah. so, but you, so you've got a super high rated show and we've got an opportunity to navigate an entirely new model to distribute content independently from studios. Right. That's incredible. That's absolutely incredible. How has the whole season of the chosen been released yet? Uh, season one is out. Season one's out. It's had a million downloads, 9.9 .9 on IMDb. We are consistently getting, and if you go through the reviews, you will see over and over and over again, people saying this is the single best TV series I've ever seen. Uh, really? the, the director Dallas Jenkins is incredible. He's done an amazing job. It's a lower budget than, than your normal piece. It's, it's, it's a first century, uh, show based on the characters that surround the new Testament that, sur that surround Christ's life. And so it's like Mary Magdalene's story and Peter's story and Matthew's story. And, and we don't really actually have very much information about their stories. So there's a lot of freedom for the director to create kind of a Ben Hur type type thing or, but I mean, uh, we have, um, I, I had one friend who's, uh, um, not a believer at all, doesn't read the scriptures or anything, not familiar with the new Testament. And she's just like, it was like, she's like, it's like oceans 11 with Jesus. He's creating this, he's creating this team of uh -huh. misfits that are all going to go take on the world. And, uh, right. and so, yeah. Um, you won't be disappointed if you got the, if you, if you just, just download the app and watch it, it's, it's free uh -huh. to watch as well. Um, it has a, has a model where you watch it for free and somebody else paid for you. And then you can pay it forward for other people to watch it for free. And, uh, it's a giving it's model, it's a giving model that you watch for free. And then if you want to, if you thought it was worth paying it forward, you pay it forward for other people to watch it for free. And so far almost completely other than a few places in the world, um, it pays for, uh, the model's paying for the next group to watch. Wow. That's phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, would you, who came up with that idea? Um, that you? yeah, I was involved in the team that came up with it. It was, uh, it was a group of, uh, I mean, we have a really, really smart team here, but I, I was leading the team that came up with the idea, but I, I can't say it's my idea because it was a team. Yeah. That's genius. And, and when do you think the second season, um, see, well, the second series, the, the next show will come up with an app that's, that's like this. Okay. So we've got, we've got a couple other in the hopper and, um, and there'll be, we, we've, we've had some moderate success with these now and we're trying to see how to uh, scale it up and have more shows like that have their own apps. Now, uh, they'll, like if you don't want a bunch of apps, then you just download the VidAngel app and you can watch them all there, um, like like on Netflix. But for any time you find a show you love, that's when you go download the app and watch it from there and interact with the community. And it has like, like Dry Bar Comedy, for example, its app has like laughing and bits. And it's, a, it's like a totally different experience than Netflix's comedy app. 
because it's all, everything is built around serving a stand-up viewer and a stand-up content. And the chosen is completely built around this, this, uh, um, more of a, um, just totally different demographic and viewer. Okay. And then when is the next, season? uh, we are filming it. Hopefully it will be filmed, uh, this summer is the expectation and possibly out by, by the holidays. Um, if not sometime early next year, I have to ask you, you know, it, it seems like you're obviously in, incredibly creative guy, but you come up with really great ideas on working with the team as well. What's your process for creation, Jeffrey? Like, do you you just spend a lot of time alone, meditation? You know, people have daily rituals they do or daily habits they do, morning rituals. For you, what seems to work for you if you want to, say, evoke, like, really great ideas or solve a problem? Um, It's a good question. So I... I think a lot of times, so like when, when I was trying to figure out how to solve squatty potties problem, because poopery was one thing that was a hard problem to solve. And we solved it with a British girl with a British accent, all posh was talking about poo smells, not exactly advertising. And we just embraced it and made it funny. Um, and we're the first, like, there's no question. That is the first commercial that's ever fully embraced like bathroom topics. Now there's tons of them out there in the last, you know, the last seven years or whatever, there's been tons follow that path. Um, a lot of them don't understand what we did to keep from going over the line. There's a a really good article in the Washington post magazine about Harmon brothers. And she was trying to figure out how it is that we navigate the line without crossing it. She's like, because everybody else failed. They just jump right over the line. And she said, because, and then she learned, as when she was interviewing us, that were uh, brothers that grew up in Idaho, in a very religious family, uh, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or uh, Latter-day Saints, or nicknamed Mormons. Um, and so she's like, these Mormon brothers from Idaho are creating stuff that's, you know, taking on the New York ad agencies. And, and she said, maybe the reason why they're able to do it is because somebody who's very keenly aware of the line knows now how not to cross it. While the people who live in these other cities, they, their content, they consume the standup, they watch the, you know, they they don't even know where the line's at to not cross it. Does that make sense? And Fair, she, yeah. it was, it's a really good article in Washington post, but, but the, um, but for my creative process, there's a few principles, um, that like walking back and forth from work is where I have a lot of thoughts. I get super hyper-focused to the point that my wife is just like, you're just still at work, aren't you right now? <laughs> you know, um, even though I'm at the dinner table and I'm talking and I'm trying, my mind is still going back. So I get kind of like hyper-focused and it's a, it's a problem sometimes, but it's also a good thing to solve problems. Um, but the, uh, one of the, the key things that I learned for Harmon Brothers is, so we brought in Joel Ackerman, who's a very funny writer to do poopery. And then we brought in Dave Vance, who's a comedic writer for Squatty Potty. And I learned really early on that you don't hire marketers 
and try to expect them to become funny, you need to hire very good comedians and teach them to be marketers. That's and so clever. I'm not necessarily that like, like there might be like one or two lines in an entire commercial that I wrote and they're not even the strong ones. Like I'm just pleased that if something funny that I wrote got in, you know, but uh-huh. because we bring in very, very good funny guys and then we run them through rigorous training at Harmon Brothers, our writers have, uh, they have book lists they need to read. They have courses they got to take from us. There's, there's writing courses and they have to learn how to write. We turn them into marketers. And right. so, and then we, we have a similar philosophy at VidAngel where we say it's a lot harder to take a marketer and turn them, uh, help have them communicate their vision and everything that they're thinking to an engineer than it is to get a good engineer and train them in marketing principles. It's very clever. And so we, we have that philosophy in both sides. And so I think maybe a lot of the success has come from learning how to pick talent and train talent rather than being the talent. What do you look for in talent when you're picking? So, um, I often, well, um, somebody who is a self-starter, like, uh, for example, back at Orbrush, when I was hiring, uh, I had bought the first hundreds of thousands of dollars of ads and I ran all the Facebook accounts and the YouTube accounts and ran all these ad campaigns. And then I just couldn't keep up. And I'm a very, I'm very good at pioneering a trail, like figuring out intuitively where, where we need to go. But then there's a point where it becomes more systematic and I needed an ad buyer. And so I just went out, got a few uh, people applying for a job and I said, okay, the last part of your interview process is I'm going to give you each a few thousand dollars and then you're each going to have access to the ad account. And I want to see how you spent your thousands of dollars. And who I'm saying, I don't even care if you made the most money. I want to see your thinking of why you bought what you bought and what you were trying to do strategically. And I just, and I'm not going to tell you how to do it. I'm not, I'll give you what we've done so far. And then you've got to figure out your own world from there. And then I hired one of those guys and he ended up being all the way through Harmon brothers. His name's Abe Niederhauser until, until he got rich off cryptocurrencies and left us. But but yeah, and he was getting paid very well, Armand Brothers. But um, but he was with us for years and years and years, and and um, and so that that's that's kind of like uh, Johnny Vance has a really good LinkedIn post. He's one of the guys at Armand Brothers, a very good creative director, and he said that when he came in to interview, uh, he brought in his resume and everything. And I don't, I don't remember this too much. I do remember meeting him once before and I was impressed with him impressed enough that I didn't really, I don't really care that much about the resume or where they graduated or whatever. What I care about is uh, referrals and then watching them. And so I just said, Hey, Johnny, you get an internship. We'll pay you minimal amounts per hour. It won't be great, but, but you're getting paid and um, more than minimum wage, but it's not awesome payment. And we're just going to watch you. And if you, we'll get, we'll give you a few months that way. And if we, if we like what you did, that's your interview process. And then you'll be on board. And now years later, he's one of our best creatives. So, um, I, uh, so I don't know if that, I'm not really like listing out like a bullet point list. I'm just giving you some examples and hopefully 
people who relate to the way I think will just resonate with it versus some like list of how I do stuff. <laughs> the, the, you can recognize Wait. patterns if you're, if, you, if, you're, if you're kind of more down the inclined to do what I do, you're going to listen to me and go, oh, I get it. And you'll see the patterns in what I'm talking about and, and be able to pull it off. So, the, so when you gave those trial interviewees a few thousand dollars to, to do the ads and you said you wanted, more importantly, you wanted to see that the way, the way that they thought, what was it about the guy that you chose? What was his thought process that really appealed to so you? So now you're asking me to dig back. Um, <laughs> he did better than I did, but he also took some risks like, um, like if, if, if they took all safe routes, that's not as interesting. Like if somebody does a risk, it's like, I'm like, yeah, that, that's a risk I probably would have taken too. Cause I think that would pay off. I understand it. That's, that's really interesting. And then watching how they react to, um, if they considered a failure or if they considered it like worth it, taking the risk is also important. But, um, I, you know, that's far enough back. I remember the process and I've used it since, but I don't remember exactly all of my thought process and why I picked him versus the others. I do remember one thing that was very intriguing to me. He's, and I found this a lot. Um, He's an economist, graduate in economics. Um, I've had several ad buyers that are graduates in economics. That seems to be a trend. They didn't graduate in marketing or any of that. They're economists. And, and then another thing that's really interesting is that he had a schedule. Um, I'm, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this. Maybe one day you'll do a podcast with him, but, but um, where he knew how many days consecutively he had flossed his teeth, how many like thousands of days. <laughs> he did. He had lost his, his teeth. So he okay. tracks. And so I was like, oh, that's exactly the problem I have. Like I can get a campaign to where it's like cruising and spiking. But then as soon as it's got to be maintained on a day-to-day basis, I'm like losing interest because there's a lot right. of okay. monotony. And I was like, if he has enough innovation to do what he did, but he still keeps track of his flossing schedule, that's probably a good fit. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> I like that too. Um, now you also mentioned Jeffrey that, uh, you think when you you're walking, do you walk home to and from work? So now I live a little further away. So I bike to the train and then I ride the train to work. And, and I would say about half the time I listen to audiobooks or podcasts and half the time I just go silent. Um, I'm not a music person, which is just, uh, if I'm listening to music, you know, I'm stressed. Um, but that's rare. I have a high stress tolerance. Um, but my wife is a total music person, but I'm not. And so I listen to audiobooks and uh, podcasts. And then that's probably about half the time, but half the time it's just silent. Just, just ride my bike, get the blood flowing, um, get on the train, listen, listen or be silent and just think about things, things I've got. And then another thing that I've done more recently that's very helpful is I have uh, a little journal that um, I call it, I call it a revelation journal, you know, because I think a lot of thoughts come from God. Um, I believe that, but, but it could just be a, an inspiration journal or whatever you want to call it, but something where when you get 
um, revelations or things that, whether it's for work or for my kids or for my wife or for, for whatever it is I'm working on, that you get these little moments of, oh, that, that's, that's an inspired thought, write it down. And then I found that the more you write those down, the more they're given to you and, and it increases them. So that, that's, that might be one of the most important things is that, that process. How do you know which to act on? So like, you know, I have a lot of revelations or inspired thoughts mm -hmm. that come to me. Like wh what makes you confident, like on which ones to choose to act on? I, it's kind of, you just got to apply the scientific method. So you create a hypothesis, say, I think this is a good idea. I think this is inspired. I'm going to act on it. I'm going to record the results. And I'm going to learn whether or not it was. And then over time, you start to um, you start to go, oh, this is, you're honing your senses a little bit. You're honing, like you're starting to learn, oh, that, that when I have this specific feeling, that is something that's good. And, when, and I've had this other feeling enough to know now that that's just me or just, you get what I'm saying? And, it, and it's just trial and error. And, and the more life continues the better you get at it and you find and it, and it really works i mean it, it works like um you just get better and better at listening to your as long as you don't go shut out your thoughts with like numb your thoughts you know yeah. if you if you have an addiction or something that shuts out and numbs you or dumb youtube yeah, videos yeah 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 I mean, that can be an addiction <laughs> but as long as you're not numbing yourself uh -huh. then you can recognize those feelings and go yeah this is what works and this is what doesn't work so it's, it's Fair just, enough. it's Fair just, enough. uh, running it through the scientific method, essentially kind of, I mean, wow. Uh, that's been an incredible interview, man. Is there, is there, I think we're going to wrap up unless there's some more stuff that you would like to share or anything that you feel we haven't touched no, on yet. No, I just, uh, I, I, thank you. Thanks for the time. Yeah. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, sharing all your tips and tricks and wisdom with us. If the listeners want to reach out and learn more about what you guys have going on, where's the best place? Um, I, I'm somewhat active on Twitter. Um, I am active on LinkedIn as well. So Twitter is at Jeffrey Harmon. Um, my Facebook is also very active on a personal level, but I don't, um, I only friend you if I know you in person. So as soon as I know you in person, then I, then I friend you. Uh, and, but I do do a lot of public posts on Facebook and have some followers there, but I, I'm not a big, um, I haven't like spent a ton of time, like building influence and stuff. I just kind of post stuff randomly when I think about it. And yeah, but th that's, that's where you'll get some of my ideas. Awesome. And, uh, you guys can download the chosen app. If you want to check out the TV series, I think I'll check that out and as well, the dry comedy app yep. as well. Right. So you just search for The Chosen on the App Store or Dry Bar Comedy on the App Store and you can download either one of those apps and they're both free to watch. And then if you like The Chosen app, then you can buy one for a friend and send yep, it to a friend, right? right? Yep. If you enjoy it. Cool. Well, Jeffrey, thank you again so much for coming on the show. And uh, listeners, thank you guys for tuning in once again. And we'll see you on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Hey listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high performance productivity coaching and our five, six, seven, and eight figure private masterminds. These are all designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to help you scale rapidly and grow. 
Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That's thebusinessmethod.com. And we'll see you all on the next episode.